something to note, we are not healthcare providers or professionals. We are, however, two people that live through a monumental medical event and find comfort in sharing what worked for us to others. These are our experiences, and it is in no way meant to treat or diagnose the general public. Always listen to your body and always listen to your doctors for guidance. All right, let's get into it. I'm Caitlin Rouse. And I'm Kevin Adams. We are going through it. Hello, hello, podcast listeners. I'm Caitlin Rouse, and he is Kevin Adams. Welcome back to Going Through It. This is a podcast dedicated to unpacking how we have navigated a very chaotic year together. We are talking about cancer diagnosis while pregnant, cancer treatments, surgeries, and now new parenthood. This week, we're talking about the third stage of grief, anger and bargaining. ChoosingTherapy.com sources that the anger stage could include anger at the extent of pain, anger that life has changed, anger that managing grief feels difficult, anger that the world suddenly feels different, empty, unsafe, or even lonely. The bargaining stage involves trying to regain a false sense of control after feeling helplessness and displaced anger. Regina Josel, PhD, says, quote, We engage in a type of mental gymnastics to try to undo something that we can't undo, end quote. This stage provides a grieving person with time to emotionally come to terms with a loss. Feelings that may accompany the anger and bargaining stages of grief include the following. Frustration, resentment, rage, hopeful, anxiety paired with anger, and fear. This one was very relevant for me while enduring all of my surgeries. For sake of our timeline, I'll unpack all those surgeries and recovery in another episode. What I will share now is that for someone who had never endured a procedure or a surgery prior to this experience, then enduring three major surgeries within five months consecutively, in all the pain of healing, it did make me angry. What also made me angry was that I was enduring these treatments pregnant. The next two AC treatments that followed, they hit me like a ton of bricks. Here I am, eight months pregnant, lost all my hair, held up in bed because I can't move because I think I'll pass out or I'll vomit. And I have to go through it. Those next two treatments, they were rough. Every time I got them, I'd feel okay leaving the hospital, but without fail, about three hours later, I started to really feel it. It's really weird to describe now, but the only thing I can equate it to is becoming incredibly intoxicated within 60 minutes. It was almost a feeling of, okay, hold on, here we go. I could 100% feel it coming on. It was always very scary because as I could feel it coming on, I didn't know how bad it was going to be. The second one though, Kevin supported me through that time like no other. We've seen each other in some not great situations, having too much to drink, getting stomach issues sick. But no matter how bad we felt, there was always some aspect of control over it. Even though I'm so hungover, I'm only going to let you see this amount of sickness. This experience was not that. I'm very pregnant. 
I have not a stitch of hair on my body and I'm just riding around in bed in so much pain. I am so lucky that I didn't get horrible bouts of nausea, which is often very much associated with this treatment. However, being so pregnant, I experienced acid reflux for the very first time in my life. Another side effect of this cancer treatment is also acid reflux. I had acid reflux times 100. So the nights of this treatment, other than feeling an immense amount of pain all over my body, the acid reflux was so bad that I was just gagging all night in intervals. I didn't eat anything. I didn't drink anything because I knew it was just going to come back up. And that's where Kevin sat and slept on the floor at the foot of our bed all night because it was happening Because it was happening, if I had to guess now, I'd say five or six times every hour, nonstop. And you would just run up and down the steps all night with bowls of stomach bile, essentially. Again, I didn't know you could love anybody outside your family like this before, the way you saw me and wanted to show up for me. I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I couldn't had been alone those nights. So I know I wouldn't have made it without you. This is what landed me in the oncology urgent care every day after these treatments, sometimes the next day, sometimes in the very early hours of the next day. Because I couldn't keep down any water or any food, I would immediately get very worried about Leo in my belly and if he was okay, given the amount of dehydration and the hell that my body was going through. So after nights of no rest, we then had to head to the hospital where we would sit for at least, God, what was it? Do you remember? Six hours sometimes. And sometimes it was like three. We always had to wait to be seen. And then we had to wait to get you into a room. And then we had to wait for them to actually come in and evaluate you because they do the same thing every time. And then eventually you would just get an IV and you'd sit for an hour or so for that. And you get something to eat. It was it was definitely like a half day event. At least I feel like, God, I feel like there were days that we'd get there at five a.m. in the morning and be there until four p.m. at night. That did happen one time, but I think normally we were back by like two. I just remember you'd sleep in the chair while I was hooked up to a new machine, waiting to try and drink some water or maybe even eat a cracker. During these trips, we'd also get to listen to Leo's heartbeat, confirming that he was alive and well. It was always good. Yeah. Strong baby. (laughs) Resilient comes to mind. So after these treatments and after the recovery days from the treatments, it took me, what, about a full week, almost two weeks to feel back to myself. And then just as I started to feel a little bit better... Just as I could start to regain some of my energy, a little bit of my vibrancy would come back. And then on that third week, I'd have to go back and do it all over again. Kevin, I think you said it was like watching me be tortured. I'm actually thinking about it right now. Yeah. It's something that there's a fair amount of trauma attached to it. I'm sure for you as well. But Yeah, just knowing that you'd come home and then we'd be on watch for the reflux. 
Hopefully it wasn't that bad. But then the next day you'd be totally wiped out. And then you're always on Fridays. So by like Monday, you'd be a little better. Tuesday, a little better. Wednesday, a little bit better. It always, to me, felt like night one was that was... Night that one was always hell. Yeah, that was the worst. And then by day two, it was like recovery from night one. Right. Yeah, that's true. Because we had, we always had to, you always had to recover from the first night. It wasn't just like the recovery from the treatment. It was like everything that came with it and going to the hospital. Oh God. Like it's, that's what I'm saying about the trauma part of it. A lot of it's just blocked, stuffed back there. Yeah. It's interesting because just like you, you mentioned in the last episode, a lot of this is opening wounds that you're desperately trying to close. And um, I don't know, me, my, myself personally, uh, like most people having endured trauma, like I, I've got a pretty good, we'll call it threshold, that kind of just shoves everything back there so that you can function. Really, really decent at compartmentalizing things that are traumatic. And it's to my detriment because when things come up just like this, it's all like flooding back. And I really get a feeling for just how, how fucked up it was. Like just how horrible it was to see you so sick. And then you always wanted to push the envelope. So by the end of the next week, you'd be trying to cook dinner and you'd be so upset because you just couldn't be up that long. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You couldn't be running around and trying to take care of Leo and, trying to be a mom and just try to do everything you wanted to so bad, but you finally just go down. And then a couple of days after you, you, you'd be almost back to a point, like you said, where you were vibrant and you just like, okay, you would look better and you could, could tell you felt better and it'd be like, all right, we got to go back to treatment and you start all over again. It's sick. It's fucking sick. Every three weeks, I I had to watch you literally pump radioactive poison into your veins. It's to the point, like this, this stuff they literally call the red devil because it just, it just. Oh yeah. That's what they call it's AC like, treatment. Yeah. Like it, it looks like it looks and behaves that way. Like it's, oh man. I couldn't use your toilet because they're like, if you get this on you, there might be tissue damage. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like. Yeah. So to watch your friend and your partner literally get poisoned every three weeks, it's, it's traumatizing. Yeah. And just to go back to what you were saying about me wanting so desperately to cling to some sort of normalcy, right? And I would start to be like, well, I'm just going to do a load of laundry. And this is where I think the anger comes in because I was so angry, I think, within myself that I couldn't show up even just a little bit, (laughs) right? It's really hard, I think, to identify with going through something like this if you have never experienced it yourself. But imagine just living your life, like your normal life, And you get up every day. Maybe you have a routine in the morning. Maybe you have a routine at work when you come home from work at night, whatever it is. And then just imagine 
being the sickest you've ever been. So let's say you have the flu. Let's say you're, you know, you have a stomach virus or something and you're in bed and you can't move, but you know, ultimately you're going to recover. Like you're going to get better. But imagine feeling like that. And that goes on for days and then weeks. And then you start to wonder, am I going to get better? Where's the upswing? Well, I guess I have to trick my brain into saying that I'm better. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to try. But then you try and you realize you can't. And it's infuriating. Welcome in, anger. I was so frustrated. I think I said this in the last episode. I did cross my mind a lot. Like, why is this happening to me? What did I do? Was there somebody I wronged so badly that I... This is some sort of karmic retribution again. It's not. These are the cards that I have been given. This is my body. This is my health. This is my life. This is the way I was pieced together. Choosingtherapy.com again. Quote, anger can be a complex emotion and is normal reaction to grief with no specific timeline associated with its stage People can get stuck in an angry phase of grief if they don't understand how to deal with these feelings. When anger continues or intensifies into a repeated rageful episode or an intermittent explosive disorder towards people not associated with that loss, this signals that you need additional mental health and support to cope, end quote. Although I never got there, I was definitely frustrated to say the least. I think the bargaining side of this I felt a lot more. Some more insight to this bargaining stage, choosingtherapy.com again states, people on the bargaining side of this stage often don't find an acceptable resolution. Eventually, they recognize that the outcome that they hope for will not occur. Trying to bargain with a higher power, another person, or a system is a means of diminishing anger and moving closer to acceptance. This phase generally does not last as long as others because it eventually becomes clear that what you hope for will not happen. Reading that last line, I got goosebumps. Not the good kind. <laughs> In all of my frustration and all of my hope and all of my, at this point I can say, delusion that I was different, that it wouldn't affect me like this, I made all the right choices for my health and my life. That hope didn't come. That that was not the reality of the situation. What I hoped for didn't happen. But what I got in return is something that is part of my story. It's something that I did <laughs> against all the odds, as cliche as it sounds. After my third treatment of AC... I delivered our son. Hold on, hold on. You can't just glaze past that day like that. We 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 either need. I mean, I'm going to let you continue, but I'm just putting in a formal motion that we do a supplemental episode about the day that you gave birth to Leo, because I think it sums up and rounds out a lot of the things that you're talking about in this particular episode especially when it comes to your spirit and your will to just fight and live. And I mean that in every aspect of the words, fighting to get up every day, fighting to walk across the street, put makeup on, fighting to just have a nice dinner and live. 
that day was really like, God damn. That was like the Avengers. <laughs> you were definitely my superhero that day. So I'm just asking, no, I'm begging you, please, if you don't address it now, agree to do a supplemental episode about the day you gave birth because that was amazing. I was so scared, right? <laughs> I mean, cancer or not, again, I, I never saw this for myself. I wasn't, I was not ready. <laughs> I don't think I ever would have been ready. I don't think anybody's ready, actually. Now, I'm, I don't mean to speak for an entire gender, but I, to answer your concerns, yes, I will absolutely talk about this and really unpack that day and that night. Perfectly, because our our son Leo was born on September 11th, and I remember I was going to be induced, and I said, "If I'm going to be induced, can we can we make it the 12th?" I just I don't know. I was I lived through September 11th, 2001. I don't. You were being superstitious. It sounds silly, but I was like, if I can choose essentially, right? Like right. I'm going to be induced. Like that's not <laughs> what I would choose to do. So right. let's make it the 12th. And they said, okay, great. And then we went to dinner and I really, and I called it my last supper because it was on September 11th. And I was like, this is last night. We get to go out after this. There's going to be a baby, I guess. <laughs> Even though I can't picture it. Yeah, neither one of us had any idea what that looked like. <laughs> And I still, I, I was actually a little scared about this because I remember I would close my eyes and try to imagine me just giving birth or like what, what he's going to look like. And my mind would just be blank. And so given the experiences that I have already gone through, I had this horrible feeling that something terrible was going to happen, but it didn't. Something amazing happened. He arrived. They put him on my chest. He cried for like 10, 12 seconds and then just started looking around. Just started looking around and buried his face into my chest and just pawed on my chest. And he was alive and he was okay. He had so much hair on his head, <laughs> even though I had none. Came out pretty perfect. I had a lot of anger about that day. I didn't know how I was going to deliver a baby. I couldn't believe I was going to deliver a baby. It sounds so formal. Deliver a baby. Like I'm pushing a human out of my body. And I just remember being so mad that all of my photos of that day, I would be bald, that I would look like someone I did not recognize. I wanted to be able to recognize myself in those photos more than anything. It still makes me mad now just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing that I didn't realize. That Yeah, when you go back and look at pictures from that day, you will definitely see the specter of cancer and the battle that you were going through. I'm hoping that in time, you find strength in this trial and you're able to look at those pictures and maybe even show them to close people or people that you really feel that you need to speak to and let them know that it was a triumphant day. 
again, you were amazing. It's almost like the it's like the pictures, right? Like photographs. It's like having photographic evidence that this occurred, that this happens, but it it's also showing people stuff like that. It's like it's almost like showing someone a picture of me naked. It feels so vulnerable and feels so obvious. There's no hiding it, right? Like right. I obviously had cancer. I was obviously sick at this time in my life. That's how I feel also when we talk about photos about my license. When we moved back here, I had to get a new driver's license. I had to get a new driver's license in the middle of my treatment. So here I am in my driver's license photo, totally bald, shiny head. And every time I pull it out, if I am going to get a bottle of wine or whatever the heck I'm doing, every time I look at that card, I'm just reminded of the worst time of my life. And like I said, it's very vulnerable feeling because there's no hiding it. I can't, I guess I could have, right? I could have put a wig on. I decided to buy a bunch of wigs and try those. Like I said, though, in the last episode, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to lean into this. I actually can pull off a shaved head pretty well. But you don't realize what you have till it's gone, right? (laughs) You don't. Going through winter in the Northeast with no hair is terrible. It's very cold because it's not just the hair on my head. It's every everything. It's, you know, those little like transparent hairs that just grow all over your body. It's naturally is what being a mammal and a human you have, regardless of whether you realize it or not. And I'll tell you when you do realize it is when you don't have it anymore, but it's all over your body. When you don't have that anymore and you put a shirt on, it, I kept saying wet lizard. Like I feel like a wet, like I just, it's like no amount of clothing can replicate the warmth or the feeling because you'll just always feel it on you. I tried to say many times in this experience that maybe if I had done X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't happen. Again, again, this bargaining, trying to figure out how I could have changed this cataclysmic event that ultimately I had no control over. And For any listeners out there that maybe made it up until this point and are wondering, I am not religious in any way. (laughs) If I was going to be, this event would have absolutely pushed me to that. But I really have a lot of faith in my own strength. I have a lot of faith in my spirit. I knew at the end of the day, I could bargain all I wanted to but that would not change the reality that I was living in. And it sounds so easy to talk about this in retrospect. It's so easy to say how I felt and what was hard, but talking about it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how challenging and how horrible this was. Because when you're in it, it feels like it's never over. It feels like the finish line is light years away. And some days I even felt like, why even try? Because it's so far. But then I would get up. I would see the person that I love so much in my life. This little being that we made. 
feel like I'm rolling right into the next stage right now and I don't want to do that. So I'm just, I'm going to pull back and just say that if you know somebody or if you're going through an experience like this, it's okay to get angry and try to reckon with something that you don't understand that we might not understand in our lifetime. What you're doing is probably single-handedly the hardest thing that you'll ever go through. Sitting here now and being able to talk about it, what a gift. I just celebrated a birthday. It was a hell of a lot better than the last birthday, which I was getting chemo treatment on my birthday. But the bar is set now. (laughs) So low. I can do anything. Taking a breath is like the best day. And that's what it is, right? That's what I ultimately realized was it's a gift. This day is a gift. Every day I open my eyes and no matter what I get to do, I'm still here. And I can't help feeling like I have so much work to do. (laughs) After enduring the AC treatments, three of them while pregnant, the final one after Leo was born, I think I got that fourth one like a week after he was born. (laughs) It's like no recovery time. I would then go on to receive 12 treatments of Taxol chemotherapy. This was then partnered with once every three weeks, I would receive targeted treatment of Herceptin and Progetta. I received that every three week treatment of Herceptin and Progetta for a full 12 months for a whole year. I just completed my final one three weeks ago. It's another episode. And I'm so excited to share me ringing that bell, celebrating that it was finally over. But this is what I'm talking about, right? Thinking of where I am in this story and this journey now on a linear timeline, that I still had so much more to go. <laughs> this is essentially just the beginning. The taxol was not as hard as the AC, but it it was still chemotherapy, right? It still kept my hair from growing back, still caused all sorts of heart, cardiac, and gastrointestinal issues, some that I am still dealing with today. In a word, words, plural, and some words, no matter where we are, and no matter where I am on these stages of grief, it's always a journey. And sitting here now, just talking, just reliving some of this, I'm like, it's, I'm angry about it all over again. (laughs) Not like I was while it was happening. But I think you said something to me the other day where you said that there was some, I don't know if it was anger or resentment and like this being my story. Or just people in general, like just having to reflect and think about their stories and that Mm, mm -hmm. how shitty it is that this is part of my story. And I could absolutely absolve myself and feel resolute and, you know, take real ownership of it and say, I'm proud this is my story and I overcame so much. If I'm really being honest, I'm still mad. I'm mad that. I had over a year robbed from me and it felt like I can't get it back. But what do you do? You go on and go forward. I have to. And there's so much good 
there's so much work to do. There's so much to see. There's so much that I want to accomplish. I can't live in the anger forever. I can't. We can't. We can't live in this anger. And so I really want to remind any listeners that if you're, if any of those listeners are out there facing anything remotely similar to these experiences I'm describing now, please know you are strong. You are graceful. You really are beautiful. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you look into that mirror and you don't recognize the person staring back at you, you are truly capable of fighting through this and so much more. If I can do this, you can absolutely do it. I believe in you. Thank you so much for listening to Going Through It. We will be back the week after next to unpack the fourth stage of grief, depression. If you've come across this podcast and know someone else that could benefit from our experiences, please share it with them. If you'd also like to follow our journey even more, subscribe to our mailing list at wearegoingthroughit.com. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. While you're there, please leave us your feedback with a comment and give us a five-star review. It really will help us. We'll see you next Friday.